see, I think that's the stereotype when people hear deliverance. They think of the movie Deliverance. They think of like, <laughs> you know, casting these horrible things out. But when I study deliverance, it, in my mind, I almost, we all need to be delivered. We should, I mean, when you, or at least if you're not a Christian or not a Christ follower, and then you turn to Christ, you need to be delivered from your old ways and whatever it is that's holding you back. Um, I don't know, it kind of made me think, is there anybody that lives a Christ following life and then accept Christ but was already living that way? You know? Because everything I read was talking about walking in obedience, which is kind of, you know, as you, as you're obedient to God, um, you begin to be delivered from the things that you're, that held you captive. And, uh, that can be anything, you know, anything that my definition of, of being captive was anything that's in your life that holds you back from being the person God wants you to be, which could be an emotion it could be it could be anything um but when i think of a stereotype i do think of like okay the demons need to be cast out or the bad drug addiction or you know there's the you need to be delivered from your ways you know there's the that stereotype of this bad thing but it's not financial irresponsibility is something we need to be delivered from you know and it's usually the thing that you I heard um, or read something that said, usually the thing in your life that you're not willing to give up or that you're, you've justified into making right, like something like financial irresponsibility or uh, the way you lie and just it's okay or the way you have made this thing in your life okay is the thing that's going to hold you back the greatest from being the person that God wants you to be. That's the thing that's going to hold you back from your full potential of the life God has for you. And if we believe that everybody is a sinner, everybody has sin in their life, then there isn't a single person that that can avoid deliverance. Everybody needs to confront the things in their own life. But there are cases of things where um, it's perhaps more obvious mm. than in others. Yeah. And it's the ones who have the large obvious sins that tend to recognize their need for deliverance more too. So the process kind of begins there, but but every single follower of Christ should be striving to overcome the sin in their own life no matter how small it might appear from the outside or inconsequential. Cuz I think in God's terms sin is sin. And doesn't rank them all. Right. And that small thing, I think, in our culture, we tend to justify it. And even if it's the world telling us it's okay, and we kind of translate that into saying that it's not that big of a deal, that that sin can be the thing that hurts you the most in your walk with God. That could be the biggest wall in your life, and you'll live forever with it or a long time with it with the you know 
with the justification that it's okay. That it's all right. Uh, I like the way you, uh, you know, kind of rolling it out because to me it sounds like your view on it, which I love and agree with, is, uh, you know, it's because of our own decisions, you know, that if there's one thing that's really holding us captive and really holding us back, it's because we've figured out a way to excuse it or allow it or whatever. And it's, you know, that comes, boils down to our, our decision, you know. Uh, we decide to have an area of our life that's not yielded to the Holy Spirit and, and I think a lot of that comes into play. When you use the word deliverance, I know there are some out there in the body of Christ who believe that there is something that actually goes beyond that because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and evil forces and dark places. And there's some believe that because this you know, spiritual warfare, this spiritual battle that we're constantly doing uh, with the enemy comes into play. And, you know, so if you bring up the concept of deliverance in some circles, there would be the idea that there are some areas of our lives that go beyond, I just made some bad choices and I'm reaping the consequences of it. It's like, oh my gosh, there's been this area or that area of my life that I've worked for years on submitting to the Lord and praying and fasting and seeking the Lord, and I just can't seem to get beyond it. <clears throat> and then there will be someone who will say, well, you know, it's it's because it's demonic and it's the, it's the uh, force that's come against you to ruin your life. And then there's a lot of people that believe that you can, you know, cast demons out of people and take authority in Jesus' name and uh, do a lot of shouting and that kind of thing. And a person will be set free, you know, and delivered. Uh, never again to deal with that. Unless, of course, they choose to. And then it comes back seven times worse. So <laughs> there's that element of it as well. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it, it makes me think, uh, there's a question that Christians are debating right now, which is, the difference between um, the influence of the enemy on your life and maybe like a psychological um, affliction, you know, a depression or a psychological condition. And I, I, I would take an expert to tell the difference. But there are some people that, you know, look at the history of things that are talked of in the Bible and say, look, we don't have, we don't deliver people from demons anymore because now we realize that in a lot of those cases there were probably some psychological things going on. And in some ways that is an attempt to undermine, you know, the spiritual authority of the Bible as well and say, no, there isn't really a spiritual realm. It's really all brain chemistry that's messed up. And I find that just an interesting debate and also a very difficult one to speak about because I have no expertise on the area. But what I do recognize is that we, as a culture, as a society, we look at things differently, right, than we used to. There was a time when all of any affliction would have the, run the risk of being labeled as demon possession because of the, the, the belief in that. But now with the eroding of that belief that there even is such a thing as a demon, 
mm. we get into territory that's difficult to navigate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but how do you how do we handle that? Do we still believe <laughs> that there are demonic influences in people's lives that have an effect? And how do we approach that if if that's the case? Well, we believe it because it's biblical, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's in the Bible, but I don't, I don't I don't know how we approach it though. Again, I I don't have much. I don't know anybody that's been demon possessed, or I'm not even in a degrees close to anything about that though. So. I can tell a story. There you go. If you want. Do it. Uh, <clears throat> when we were on staff at a church up in Washington State, uh, it was in the 80s, and there was a, it was one of these waves of doctrine that came like a tsunami through the church. And uh, there was a lot of emphasis on it, and a lot of it was because of this one book called Pigs in the Parlor. And uh, I can't remember the author's name, but he and this guy and several other authors started writing books about it and had to do with demon possession. And uh, kind of the idea was everything we do that's of the flesh, it's because our flesh, our spirit can't control our flesh. The flesh is stronger than the the, uh, spirit. And so what that means is there's some kind of demon affliction or back then they were even calling it demon possession. And one of the sidebars became, can a Christian really be demon possessed? Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, can you actually be demon possessed? But so entire churches moved into this movement and, uh, our church that we were part of, there were some who believed in it in the church and some who didn't believe in it in the church. And so some of us that were <coughs> curious went to uh, a couple other churches where they were having these, what they called deliverance services. And you went into these things and there was like this powerful, it seemed like the Holy Spirit of God. It was this very, very powerful presence of God and there would be a lot of worship and then you know they you know someone would stand up and give a little teaching on it and then begin commanding demons to come out and people were shrieking and vomiting and just all this crazy stuff that we went and checked it out it's like it seems almost like mind over matter you know to to us back then it just seemed like oh man there's this this mass thing that happens in a group of people when you know yeah, you know, crowd, what do they call it? You know, mass, mass hysteria. Yeah, mass hysteria was kind of like that, you know. Uh, but then there were also these uh, prophet types and teacher types who were drawn to this specific kind of ministry. And I remember this one weekend we had heard about this one person. And so uh, our Elizabeth and I, and then this other couple in the church who we loved, who were elders in the church also. And we went down for this little retreat, you know, and there was this prayer and casting demons out of us and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just like it felt like there was a big burden came off of me, you know. But, you know, what was the long lasting effect of that? 
nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, like it, it's, it's like the mass hysteria where people accept Jesus as their savior. And then the next day wonder, wait, where did that feeling go? You know? And, you know, I learned through that and over the subsequent time after that, that a lot of times the only demon I'm ever dealing with is me. <laughs> I'm the only devil I got to deal with, you know? And I, I do believe that there are principalities and powers and evil forces and dark places arrayed against us and territorial spirits. I believe in all that, but I also believe that even though they can do everything they can to influence Fitting. me and to subject me to it, I still have the power of God in me that I can rise up immediately over the top of it. And it's just, it seemed easy during this movement for people to just, rather than taking personal responsibility for disciplining themselves, to just say, oh my gosh, I need deliverance. I need, I need demons cast out of me, you know. We're far beyond that now. I don't really hear people talking about that anymore, but I'm sure there are pockets around the body of Christ that still There are. That. I know there are. I mean, I know some people that know some people that yeah. <laughs> I got a guy. live in the woods. <laughs> I got and I they got a guy. believe about <clears throat> casting out demons and whatnot. And I believe, I believe in demons. I believe in the enemy coming against us. You know, I, f I believe I felt that before. The enemy or satanic or dark, however you want to put a word on it. But, you know, there's good and bad. Jesus and the devil, and there's a fight, but um, I don't know, I, I, I do think that, I don't, it's funny though, because when I was studying for speaking on deliverance, none of this even came into my mind, like mm -hmm. I didn't think about demonic forces or <coughs> any of that, like it didn't even, until we sat here and talked about it this morning, didn't even occur to me even look at it or think about it or study it or even talk about it because that's so far from what I was thinking about or talking about so I don't know I find it interesting well I think it's the those are some of the big questions in in deliverance like what effect does that have because we all I think the three of us all recognize that we all need to face our the sins in our life face the character flaws and that God brings those things to us at regular intervals that we need to deal with in our in our life he highlights the areas where we still need refinement um, and improvement so we we recognize that but i i find the other aspect of it interesting like there are things within ourselves our character flaws and i agree that we are our own worst enemy most of the time and we don't need anybody's help to make us sinful because we are already um, flawed and our flaws will be exposed Mm -hmm. at the worst possible moment, you know. Mm -hmm. But I've always had the curiosity with the other side of it, understanding the spiritual impact, because it's clear biblically that there is a spiritual realm that has an influence on the natural <coughs> realm and and is part of this, this whole process. And I've had experience yeah. myself with the supernatural and heard many stories. So I just wonder where that fits in. And, you know, I kind of feel like those big meetings are counterproductive in many ways. I agree with that. Just because of the potential 
yeah. for mass hysteria, the potential for groupthink to take over and assume larger proportions than it than it needs to. And certainly, I think Jesus modeled more of a personal one-on-one -on -one example. And I don't think he needed a crowd to deliver somebody from a, you know, a demon. He just knew when it was the right time and, and did it um, in the moment because he had the authority to do it. And his approach, as we've discussed in many areas, his approach is often different from our, our normal approach. <laughs> in doing these things. And, and so when, when you're confronted with a specific situation, you might be prompted by the Holy Spirit to recognize the spiritual dynamic that's at play and be asked to confront that in, in the authority of, of Jesus. And that would be an appropriate situation to, to do that. But, but in, a, in a large group, you know, where you've got, when you're whipping up a certain fervor and emotion, it becomes difficult even for those that are running the, the the event to recognize what's really going on. I believe, and I kind of uh, touched on this a little bit, but um, like if you're in a meeting and in a church service and saying, you know, there, the, the whoever's in charge says, you know, there are there things people need to be delivered from. You know, and in my head, that's everything. Like I'm saying, like anything yeah. that you need to be, and then which is also converting your sin. But um, things you need to be delivered from, whether it be abusive relationship to a three-legged demon in your backyard. I don't know. Um, I think the way Jesus works more times than less. Jesus doesn't work in instant gratification most of the time. It's a process. And a lot of the meetings, I think, are very instant gratification driven. And while, be it, albeit, Jesus does have the power to heal miraculously and things like that happen, I don't think it's his go-to way of doing things. It's a process, um, which means that it happens over the course of a lot longer than an hour. Well, I think yeah. it's his his purpose is to change you and sometimes that change has to happen incrementally so that it's at a pace that you can absorb it like you talked about financial irresponsibility usually if someone cannot handle their finances the solution is not to throw them a bunch of money mm -hmm. to get out of debt because normally if they've proven themselves irresponsible financially they don't handle the large payment well either you know they <laughs> they waste they squander the money that could rescue them and so that's an example of where you know the solution tends to be more gradual and it requires a shift in your mind and a changing of your attitude and a determination to handle things differently and a process of working your way out of a difficult situation mm -hmm. but ultimately by doing that you will learn how to handle things better and you won't find yourself falling back into that that trap so when someone is in a bunch of a bunch of debts say do they pray that God would send them enough money to pay off their debts and make them debt free with the promise that I I will never do it again cross my heart <laughs> you know it's I don't think God works that way because he's more interested in the character that we develop not just not simply um, eliminating you know the the debt that we've incurred I think that 
analogy goes for most things too. Whether it, you know getting off drugs, there's a reason you go through withdrawal. It makes you not want to do it again. <laughs> you know, if you just all of a sudden you felt better, yeah. you know, then it wouldn't be it wouldn't have as great of you know implications on you for to do it again in the future. And if you don't suffer the consequences, you don't learn the the bad lesson. You don't you know you don't it doesn't get ingrained in you to the same extent. Mm -hmm. Makes you more susceptible to failing again because it really wasn't that bad the first time. Mm -hmm. So that said, it's just to me, I, I feel like God's miracles in those departments are not. Um, it's a process for most of the time. Like I, I, I mean, who is it to me for me to say that this is the way God operates? I don't know. I really, I don't know. But I just feel like most of it is a process, and it's gonna take a while. And you kind of got to go in thinking that way. If God heals you instantly, and you wake up the next day, and you're have a large sum of money, or you you know, don't have any withdrawal or you suddenly don't want to do that bad thing that you wanted to do anymore, then that's great. Hopefully you can learn from that. But, you know, life is generally, it's going to, you're going to wake up feeling like crap. So, um, <laughs> and well, you have to work your way out of it. I don't rule out the possibility because I know right. stories like my father-in-law woke up one day and no longer had a need for drugs. And he'll tell you as part of his testimony of, of what God did for him, that he was changed instantly and never struggled with that again. And God is capable and God does that. And we love it when God does that. But what would be wrong is to assume that that's the only way God operates or to assume that if you're involved in the slow, gradual process, that somehow God didn't, doesn't love you as much as somebody else. I mean, God does what is necessary in every one of our lives with whatever situation he's dealing with. And mm -hmm. I trust in his ability to know exactly what the right thing is. So that's, that's the reassurance. It may be fast and easy because God has a purpose in that, or it may be slow and gradual because God has a purpose in that. I think when you approach those things in a meeting or in... Sometimes I don't think that message is clearly displayed to the masses. It's, we're going to ask for a miracle... Hopefully you get it, and if not, you know, we'll keep trying. Not, let's face up to what we got to do, you know. You do hear that, but everybody everybody in their human nature wants it to be the fast miracle, because then they don't have to struggle with it anymore. But if you think of, of the tenacity that is required to walk through something and overcome it gradually, that is miraculous as well. It's miraculous when someone yeah. gets to the end of that process because of how long and difficult it is. You know, the, the, the salvation of a soul is a mir miracle. Sometimes we pray for miracles and what we want are like, you know, the leg extensions and the, you know, the regrowing of a broken arm or something. When the truth is the salvation of a soul is one of the greatest miracles that there is. And so we overlook, my point is we overlook the, the miraculous. We overlook the great work that God does in, in a need for the spectacular and for the, the, ease, the easy solution.